Hi, this is Pastor Mike from Compass in Monterey County. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope it encourages you and gives you confidence that Jesus is by your side and that his plans for you are to bless you. But this morning, I am absolutely certain that what I'm talking about matters. Because I'm talking about how do you survive or overcome unhappy endings? In this life, unhappy endings are inevitable because of the way people are, because of the way the world is. Unhappy endings sooner or later will come to all of us, and more than one. The other thing about unhappy endings is that they are always unpredictable. No one ever plans for an unhappy ending. I mean, you don't get married expecting and planning for this marriage to end unhappily. And you don't enter into a friendship and spend time together ever expecting that that friendship will end poorly. And no parent has a baby ever expecting that 30, 40 years from now, that it, that relationship will be a very unhappy relationship. No one ever plans unhappy endings. But it's just part of life. Everyone has to go through them. And surely there are some of us this morning that are on the verge of going through another one. And we can see it coming. We can see it coming. And this morning, my heart hurts for you because I can only imagine the sorrow and the pain that's beginning to build within you as you see this come. Dave Peltzer had a mother who was abusive beyond our imagination. In fact, later the state of California said that his case was the worst case on record of child abuse. She beat him. She made him sleep in the garage, not on a bed, but on the concrete floor. He had no bedroom. She used him as a slave. She would not allow him to speak unless she gave him permission. And she would not call him by his given name on his birth certificate. She always called him it. It. And if he looked to, at her without her permission, or spoke without being invited to speak, or even breathed in her presence, then she would punish him with starvation. Even though he was five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, all through those years, Whenever she was angry at him, which was constantly, she would refuse to feed him. So when he was in first grade and second grade, he began to steal food from the lockers of his classmates until the principal, not knowing who was doing this, locked all the lunches up in safekeeping. One day when he had not eaten for more than two days... 
He looked in disgust at the other kids eating their lunches without a care in the world. And he said he wanted to scream, Why do you have nice parents? Don't have to sleep in the garage. Eat all the food you want. Sleep in a real bed. Don't get beaten till you bleed. Why don't I have a mother like that? Let me read just a couple of more lines. Inside my head I threw a temper tantrum, screaming, Life is not fair. Life is not fair. Over and over until I became filled with hate and anger. I was completely right and wrong. Life is not now nor ever will be fair, period. Someone else always appears to have more, to have a better life, to have a better family, better kids, to have whatever we want without the slightest effort. This is a turning point in life when we realize that life is not fair. And then he goes on to say this. He asks himself, is my anger and self-pity getting me what I want? And of course the answer is no. All the rehearsing of anger and lament and pity within his own head did not change his mother. It affected nothing except himself. It just kept him stuck in his unhappy circumstances, reliving and reliving, even after he had grown and was gone and escaped from that house, reliving the unhappy ending. This is David in Psalm 13. He's hiding in the cave in the, in the desert. And he is writing this lament, rehearsing over and over again how life is not fair. He has done nothing to deserve this. Saul is evil and bad and is doing, treating him in a way that he does not deserve. You know, his relationship with Saul, as I said in the scripture reading, began so wonderfully. And now Saul wants to kill him. So David asks four times in the first four verses, How long, Lord? And that's what we do when we're in an unhappy ending. How long, Lord, will this person be like this? Will we have to go through this in our family and in our marriage? And sometimes the answer is, it will never change. Saul never did change. And so often in life, our prayers about people, God cannot answer yes, because God will never overtake a person's free will. He will never make a sinful person do the right thing against that person's will. And so there are prayers that we pray with regard to people 
that are not going to change anything because the person resists the changing of God. You know, sometimes nothing changes. And people at work and people close to us do not change. It's us that has to get bigger and make our button smaller and smaller and smaller. So it's hard to push. You have to get bigger. How long will I battle sorrow? How long will this situation torment me? Can my life ever be rebuilt? That's the question of this psalm. Many, many people do not know how to rebuild after an unhappy ending. They never get over it. They just stay angry, resentful. They bury it like a toxic waste dump. It's still there in their life. They never really get over it. A lot of Christians stay stuck. And the reason is this. God cannot heal our life until we are willing to live the answer. He cannot heal our life until we're willing to live the answers that He has for us. All of life is this way, I think. Would you agree? You know, you go to a finance uh, specialist, uh, uh, a financial planner to help a person get out of debt. The best financial planner in the world cannot help us get out of debt if we're not willing to live the answers. Am I right? You go to a doctor because your health isn't so good. The best doctor in the world cannot make us healthy unless we're willing to live the answers he gives. Parents get frustrated because a son or daughter is going through pain after pain and misery after misery because they won't live your answers. And this is why so many people who believe in God never get past unhappy endings because they won't live God's answers. It's why a salesman never gets better. He won't live the answers. It's why some people go through broken marriage after broken marriage because they won't live the answers. So today I'd like to talk about what God's answers are to help us get over these unhappy endings and get out of our cave and live again. And the first answer God has is make yourself choose to get perspective and to stop complaining. Choose to get perspective and stop complaining. David begins a psalm which I explained in the scripture reading is a lament. That is, he's complaining about how he's being treated. But in the end, he has a turning point into... Liberty, where he escapes from the cave and he does it because he decides at the very end to get perspective and to stop complaining. To see the big picture instead of just focusing on the negative. To see the bigger picture that includes b good things. So in verse 6, at the very end of his song, he says, I will sing. This is a choice on his part. 
Up till now, he's not been willing to sing. But he straightens himself up and he says, I choose, I will. And you see that all through the Psalms when you read David. David pours out his complaints to God, but there comes a point where he says, I will live God's answer. I will sing to the Lord. Why? Because he has been good to me. Do you see him getting perspective? What's happening to me is not good, but oh, there's so much good in my life. David has some excellent excuses for continuing to complain. But he chooses not to use those excellent excuses and instead to start singing and get perspective. The tipping point in surviving unhappy endings is to choose to stop complaining and start being thankful. There's always room for complaining. You can always find something to complain about. And sometimes you have some excellent excuses for complaining because this is bad. But you have other choices of where you focus and it matters. Most people I have found are ants. A-N-T-S. They think it's normal to be an ant because all of their friends are ants. Probably because their parents were ants. They grew up in a family of ants. They learned to be ants in their family. They don't think there's any other way to live than being an ant. They think everyone's an ant. But God did not create you to be an ant. And he doesn't want you to be an ant. Are you an ant? I'll bet you you are. Most people are. Now, I don't mean an insect. An ant is an automatic negative thinker. It's a person who has automatic negative thinking. And unless you're very unusual or you have really discipled yourself in the Lord, like in Philippians chapter 4, unless you have worked at this by the power of God, you are an automatic negative thinker. Because most people are. It's like the hunter who, refused, who wanted to show his buddy his new hunting dog. He was so excited about his new hunting dog. And he got his buddy over to the duck pond. He says, this dog is fantastic. Let me show you this. And he saw some ducks flying over, shot one of those ducks. His new hunting dog ran out on top of the water grabbed the duck, ran back on top of the water, dropped the duck before his master's feet. And his master looked at his friend, well, what do you think about that? And his friend said, I wouldn't have a dog who couldn't swim. <laughs> really? There are people, they always see what's wrong with other people. You don't hear them focusing on the good. They focus on what's wrong, the flaws of the other person. That's what they talk about at home. They are flaw pickers. And they see it so easily. And you hear them complaining a lot about the flaws of other people. There's some good in those people, but they never talk about that. They talk about the negative. There are people 
who always see why some good idea won't work. They'll pick it apart rather than seeing how it could work and the tremendous fruit it might produce, the first thing they say is why it's not a good idea and it won't work. They are vision killers everywhere they go. There are people, when they talk about life, you sit around and you talk about life, it's mostly negativity coming out of them rather than the good that is around them. They are automatic negative thinkers. They are judgmental. Instead of being grace-filled, they repeat bad things people have done. Instead of remembering the good that person has done, they focus on the flaws, the negatives. They are ants. And they think everyone is an ant because most of their friends are. Some people insist on turning water into wine. And they do it regularly. That's a miserable way to live. And it's not a spiritual way to live. A few years ago, I had the privilege of hearing David Ring speak at a conference. At birth, this man was hit with cerebral palsy. Not only that, his father, when he saw that his son had this horrible condition, abandoned the family and left the mother to work two jobs to support the children. And if that wasn't enough, his beloved mother died when he was 14. He fell into bitterness like you can't imagine. Complaining, he didn't believe in God, he was an atheist, wanted nothing to do with God. Life was unfair and he was angry about it. Stuck. Stuck. And then he got around a person who had their own problems, but had a joy that he knew he did not have. And he began to ask himself this, is my anger and self-pity getting me what I want? And of course the answer was no. Because all of his anger and self-pity wasn't changing the world. Our life. So gradually, he began to go to church, a church like this one, and he became a believer in Jesus Christ. And uh, it began to change his life until he radically became a positive person. And in this speech, he slurred this. Hard to understand, but this is what he said. They said I would never ride a bike, but I did. They said I would never get married, but I did, and I got five kids to prove it. They said I would never be able to be a speaker, but I have preached 265 times this year. Now, I have cerebral palsy. 
What's your problem? There was not a dry eye in the place. I have cerebral palsy. What's your problem? What are your problems? What are you complaining about this morning? I hope if you don't remember anything else is this. There are millions of people on earth who would gladly change places with you. Millions. Who would gladly give you their problems and take yours. You think about the third world countries. You go to the hospital with me. You think of all the people who would gladly rejoice to have all of your problems. Perspective. David decides to light a candle in the cave. He says, I will sing to the Lord, for He has been good to me. Perspective. It matters. Susie will tell you that almost every day I come home and say something like this. Honey, you know what day it is? And she always knows what to answer. She says, well, it's Tuesday. Or it's Wednesday. Or it's Thursday. And I'll say, you know what that means? Yes, it's time to celebrate. It's Tuesday. It's time to celebrate. Honestly, it is. Perspective. Celebrate every day. Complaining is a hard habit to break. Some of us have done this so long, it's going to be so difficult to interrupt our thoughts and say, No, I will sing because God has been good to me. You've got to do that for yourself. There are some things no one can do for you. You have got to choose which side you will be on mentally. Secondly, to survive an unhappy ending. Well, rather than describe this to you verbally, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. So I have a little video that will explain to you the second step in surviving unhappy endings. I think that film is theologically profound. (laughs) That's the best film I've ever seen. Don't you agree? (laughs) That's my recommendation. Blame it on your cat. Seriously, what I'm saying is blaming is a waste of time. 
It's a bad habit. Why is blaming a bad habit? Because it will condemn you to rehearse and rehearse the unhappy ending. You can't blame a person without going through the pain again. As you itemize, inventory, what they are to blame for. You condemn yourself to go through the pain again. My dad was a cotton farmer in the desert in Arizona, and I grew up working on his farm in the hot desert heat, 120 degrees. That motivated me to study. There has to be a better way. (laughs) But when we were out there in this virgin desert that he created this cotton farm from, we, no exaggeration, would kill somewhere around 300 rattlers a year. My brother, me, the workers on the farm, we're killing snakes all the time from a distance. That's why today I can't stand to see a snake. Not even on movies. I, I I can't stand snakes. But let me tell you something about rattlers that you may not know. And that is, if you tease a rattler, you really make him angry. He'll bite himself. Not just once, repeatedly. He bites himself in the tail, injecting poison into himself because he's so angry. He can't get you, so he bites himself. That's blaming. It doesn't affect the other person. It just injects poison in ourselves. And so often we really can't get at the other person. So we just bite ourselves. By rehearsing and rehearsing all that we have against them. It's a waste of life. Instead of rehearsing your grievances, release your grief. Let it go. Begin to tell yourself what is, is. Accept what cannot be changed. You can't change anybody by blaming them. Or changing the past. And you finally have to say to yourself, I will not continue blaming. It's a waste of my life. And let it go. And the way you let it go is stop, 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 stop. It's the only way. You don't do this in one moment and one day. Again and again. Stop, stop, stop. And it will grow fainter. Let me tell you about Viktor Frankl. He was a Jew. The Nazis put him in a concentration camp. They killed his mother, father, all his brothers and sisters. He was the only survivor in the camp. Talk about injustice. Talk about mistreatment. That's what the Nazis did to Viktor Frankl. And he saw people all around him not only give up hope, but get so angry and bitter, they just died. And he discovered in that camp, developed a whole psychology out of it, a very profound thing. He said the last human freedom is to choose one's attitude. This was such a tipping point in my own life to say no one forces me to have any attitude. And that's why the scriptures give me all these commandments on being thankful in Philippians 4 and choosing to see what is good. The Scriptures are saying over and over, you 
have the freedom to choose your attitude. And it makes all the difference whether or not you're ever going to be healed from miserable endings in your life. So David writes, I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. He sings himself out of the cave. If an unhappy ending is making us miserable, I have to say to us, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Because we have choices. Forgiveness is is an option. Getting perspective, being thankful, beginning to see the good that is in another person, even though they've done a bad thing. Seeing the good, those are all options. God cannot heal or fix our life until we are willing to live the answer. And finally, the third step in surviving unhappy endings is to surrender yourself to God. If you're a seeker this morning, you don't have a personal relationship with God, or you're a believer and you haven't been spending any time with God in prayer and just being in front of Him and beholding His face, you're not going to understand what I'm about to say. Because it's not your experience. But I can tell you, when I became a Christian, I began to learn to pray, and I began to experience the healing presence of God, beholding His face. Psalm uh, 71, verse 21, David says, God will comfort us on every side. He will comfort us on every side if we'll be in His presence. That's not a quickie prayer in the car, not a quickie prayer in the shower. It's spending time in the presence of God. I have found that in the end, it is not books, and it's really not even my best friend's, It is sometimes only the presence of God that I find healing and relief and comfort. Do you spend time with Him? Do you pray? I mean, quietly and listen. Do you know Him? Have you invited Him into your life? Do you know this experience? Finally, I have to say in my own life that God cannot help us if we aren't willing to live the answers. But if we are, we can get past any unhappy ending in our life. Would you pray with me? I just ask you out of respect of people around you, but also God, to bow your head. Close your eyes. Just be still. Lord, I I pray for people who have been in unhappy endings that they would live the answers of Psalm 19, or 13, Psalm 13. Live those answers. I pray all over this auditorium we'd start to do your word. And I pray especially you'd deliver us from automatic negative thinking. And we'd walk out of this worship center today determined we are going to cut the nerve of this automatic thinking in our life. We're going to stop it. Lord, I pray for anyone here who does not know you. 
They would say to you right now, I want to know you, Lord. I want you to come into my life. I want you to save me. Forgive me. But I want you to give me this power that only you can give and healing. You know, if you'll just say that, if you'll mean it in your heart, God comes into your heart and lives there. It'll be a tipping point in your life. You'll never be the same. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, that was another practical message from Dr. Mike. If you live in our area, why not come to in-person worship at one of our three locations Sunday? Hearing Dr. Mike live is so much more powerful. So we hope you can come.